Scott here from Social Energy Presents, and welcome to this podcast short from our signature show, Your Backstage Pass, featuring a special vignette from another great episode. over much music in those days yeah. it seemed like every time it turned on much music you were on yeah and 80 from 1989 until about 1992 you know i i joke around now i say that was my five minutes but i was like sort of like the it girl on much music for a while because that the body rock album and the some like body rock was close to triple platinum um some girls do was plot was over platinum in canada and um at that time i don't know i just seemed to hit with the right songs at the right time with the right visuals and much music was all over i was in heavy rotation so you know the funny the funny thing about that um when i met my husband um john and we we had to do a rehearsal for this jazz tour like i said um and it was, it was quite awkward because previous to him and I meeting in, we met in 2001, in the spring of 2001. And uh, again, the, my friend Ralph Alfonso, who worked at Network Records, was orchestrating the entire thing. And he said, you know, we're going to put together this A-team and we all have to rehearse each other's material because this, the one band is going to play for all three artists because that was the only way financially to make this jazz tour work from coast to coast, right? Matt, can I interject? Who, was, who else was on the bill with you? Dave Rave from Teenage okay. Head. He okay. does it like a jazzy thing as well. And then Ralph Alfonso had a whole beat poetry thing going on as well. I don't okay. know if he, it was sort of like, you know, Jack Kerouac meets Leonard Cohen kind of vibe. And he would get up and he did a, like a, you know, it was very Leonard Cohen-y. He did a talk poetry kind of thing over music, which was really, really quite great. And um, so we, anyway, but he needed a headliner. So he asked me to be, because he needed somebody who was gonna draw people in to see the show. I, I don't mean that in a braggy kind of way, but that's why I was invited onto this tour. Of course. But financially to make it work, they had to put together the A-team. So I had called John, uh, Cody, several times in the past to sub for my regular drummer, a guy named Matt Pease, when he was unavailable. Because my my horn player, Graham Howell, um, kept saying, you know, you got to work with John Cody. He's amazing. You'd love his drumming style. He tunes his drums so well. He's great. He'd be great in your jazz band. So I had called and left messages on a few occasions for John and said, hi, John Cody, this is Learen calling. And, you know, my drummer can't make this show. And I was hoping you might be available. I never even got a phone call back from this guy, right? <laughs> Play, like, playing hard to get. <laughs> well, no, he's like, you know, I just thought you were like this dumb rock chick, like little tart <laughs> who pranced around, you know, in, you know, her little crop tops and, you know, little leather jackets. And he just, he just thought I was like some kind of like record company product that was being pushed to the forefront. So that was his experience with me. So he had, he had no interest even in really meeting me or playing with me. And um, <clears throat> well, again, I'm not meaning to be boastful, but our first hour of our first rehearsal, the first way, the first day, he said he was blown away. He said, I had no idea how good of a singer you were, that you were really very, very musical and how much talent you had. And of course, obviously we're married and we have children now. So <laughs> he, did a, he did a complete 360 on me. <laughs> well, it worked very well for you. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm just, I was, I was stunned. I remember, now something comes to my mind's eye. Did, 
Back when you first started your jazz thing, did you play a place on Hastings Street called the Atrium? Do you remember? Probably. I, it was at a little I, hotel right near the P and E. Oh, a little I, hotel? Or? That, yeah, well, it was like you know, medium-sized hotel. I think it might be a Best Western now or something. Probably. I did. You know what? I was working with an agency out of Vancouver, and I realized early on that if I was going to play places like the Jazz Cellar, that I was going to be playing for fifty dollars in a meal. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I was at that point, it had evolved to the point where I had a bass player, keyboard player and a horn player. I was a four piece. And I realized that the only way to actually make money doing this was to play the high end hotel circuit. So I was doing, you know, the revolving restaurant at the top of mm -hmm. the thing. And, you know, I did that. I was in the um, whatever, the Olympic Hotel, right there, the Pan Pacific. I started doing these high end rooms because they paid well. And I had a four piece act and I wanted to be able to pay them decently. However, what I didn't quite realize was that in the jazz world, that was not, that was like selling out to do those venues. They were like, that's not what you do, right? And I'm like, how does anybody make a living doing this, right? Mm -hmm. So the strange thing was in every other province, in every other jazz festival, when I did the jazz and I released my album Slick Chick, I actually had a great promotional team out of New York. Um, it was a former promo lady that I worked with with Bebop Promotions. She had me doing CBC stuff. She had me do all over Canada. So I was doing the Jazz Festival, the Harperfront Festival in Toronto. I was doing the Jazz Festival in Ottawa. But in Vancouver, where I had played these high-end hotels, the Jazz Festival didn't want to touch me mm. because it wasn't respected. Mm. So that was kind of a blow. But the weird thing is I ended up in the Jazz Festival Guide anyway, because the hotels that I worked with that were involved in the Jazz Festival thing would hire me anyway. So it was this weird catch-22 where I wasn't officially in the Jazz Festival with the Vancouver Jazz Festival, but they had to advertise me in the Jazz Festival Guide because I was hired by the hotels anyway. Right. It was weird, it was, yeah. it was weird. And you know, and I, I was working with some really great players, um, Tilden Webb, I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with you. Great, great um, uh, guy named Brent Gubbles, Danny, Danny Parker on bass. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think of some of the other people that I worked with, you know, um, some really, really fabulous players. Well, so, it's interesting. It I remember when I, when I first started working with Randy, he'd always wanted to do a jazz album. He always sort of, he always sort of dabbled in jazz anyway, even songs like Undone or is it jazzy, you yeah, know, yeah. looking out for number one and all this sort of thing. So because Lenny Bro was his guitar teacher as a young boy in Winnipeg, he always had this thing about wanting to do a jazz album sort of in tribute to Lenny Bro's legacy. And so, I, and that was the thing. I, we, you know, we, we, we toured all over the place in every little nook and cranny, small little places, you know, and it, it, it's weird because it, it, I, Randy and Randy was paying me my, my regular wage and, you know, there was, we weren't flying to gigs. Let's put it that way. We were driving a lot. It was, there was scaled down things for that, but you know, a lot of it came out of his pocket just because he wanted to do it. You know, it was an yeah. important thing for him to do it. It was, no. it was interesting, but once again, he was panned totally. He was panned as not being real jazz, you know? Well, I wasn't panned. <laughs> that was the, yeah. I mean, that was. Well, you, were, I, well, you, well, you weren't panned, but you were, 
frowned upon in Vancouver. I guess, sorry, I, I used the wrong terminology. You were frowned upon because where you played. But Randy, Randy actually had a lot of bad press because they didn't, from the jazz aficionados. I remember our first gig in Toronto. It's a very weird world, I have to say that. Um, mm. So, yeah, again, because I started, my, the inception of the jazz thing was local and I was playing, you know, Babaloo and places. Right. I'm just trying to think, that's where Michael Buble started, right? Right, you know, yeah. Bubaloo and um, in fact, one night I walked in there, Michael's like, Lee, you got to get on stage and sing with me. And you know, the, the, the sad thing is he had all these great jazz players and he even came to me backstage. He says, you know, the guys in my, uh, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. He said, confided to me. He said, I'm a fan. I would love for you to get up and sing with me. I'm going to tell you something right now. The guys in my band think I'm cheesy, but I'm a hard worker. And I, my heart was broken when he said, I thought, oh my God. So I'm like, of course I'll get up and sing with you and look at him now. Right. Yeah, but yeah. the jazz guys didn't really respect him, mm. you know, again, and look at him now. Mm. Um, it, it's, it is a bit of a weird world, but I have to say when I played the top of the Senator in Toronto, which is that, a very, that's, that's the one where we, that's the one that we played in Toronto. That was our first right. gig. Yeah. The Globe and Mail loved me. Like I got very good reviews and, and I, but I, you know, and I don't mean to, again, like I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but this music for me was not, it wasn't like I just went, Hey, jazz is the whole swing thing is kitschy in the, in the mid nineties. I'm just going to jump on this bag bandwagon. I, these were my roots. I grew up singing this stuff. Mm. So it was very authentic for me. And yeah. I think that it was probably kind of hard to pan me. Um, because it was genuinely part of my soul, right? And it still is. I mean, yeah. I, on, um, you know, if you listen to the Diamond Baby Blues album, which was my 2018 release, you know, I covered an old Coco Taylor tune called I'm a Woman, which was the Bo Diddley tune, I'm a Man, reimagined re for her. And then again, reimagined for me. It's, it's pretty much pure blues, right? And, um, but we do it a la Zeppelin-esque style, right? Uh, but that's 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 part of my my whole quintessential sound i think is is you know that the roots of thing of music like that for sure hey thanks for joining us check out our many other podcasts featuring vignettes and full episodes from a growing list of recording artists and other music insiders and please like share and subscribe to our channel so we can bring you more great content from this and many other shows we're now producing Available both on podcast and video on demand.